Hello and welcome to the Manchester Age Red Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilson and we are recording after Manchester United. We've won 3-0 in the Europa League on Thursday night, thanks to goals from Diego Dallo, Marcus Rashford and Ronaldo against FC Sheriff. And it's just me and Samuel today, so you can forget your partnerships with Andy Cole and Dwight York, because we're going to have the best partnership today, aren't we, Samuel? Just me and we'll you, how try. are you? Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> try, absolutely. For you. Normally, my, my, my strike partner is, is Rich Fay in these uh, settings, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think, having seen you in five aside, you'll you'll more than do, Stephen, to, to say the least. I've got big boots to fill with Rich not on the podcast today, I must I say, I must say. Um, as always, Samuel, we'll just get into it straight away, and I always like to ask you really what your snap verdict, your snap reaction. What were your first thoughts leaving Old Trafford on Thursday night? Obviously, we are recording on on Friday afternoon ahead of that match uh, against West Ham on Sunday. It it was pleasant to walk out the stadium having witnessed a routine, straightforward win. United have found those very hard to come by this season. The the two easiest wins they've had all season have been against Sheriff, so we shouldn't be too surprised about that. In the first half, there was that that slight doubt that this could be another another difficult long night because again they were dominant but they weren't they weren't scoring their their conversion rate was as as profligate as as it has been in in some of the more recent games although I don't think Sheriff were being tested quite enough or their goalkeeper wasn't being tested enough that said United were playing absolutely fine I mean Christian Eriksen is is a joy to watch in in games like that when 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 games are very much of of that one one paced uh, nature and and it is one way traffic. It, it's it's like an exhibition match to him and and he was great to watch. And fortunately for United, they they did get that goal just before half time. And you knew then and there that that was that was game over. It's it's very rare that the scoreline reads one nil at half time and and the contest is dead. But that was the case last night. It was a question of in the case of how many they'd win by. Still quite a, a modest win, 3-0 against a team that really should have been taken to the cleaners. But goals, this team, this United team are finding goals quite difficult to come by, irrespective of who, of who plays up front. But it does bode well that, that Ronaldo and, and Rashford scored. I thought Renash, uh, Rashford's header in particular was, was an uncharacteristic goal for him, but a really well-taken goal. Beautifully worked from right to left. And Luke Shaw's had a very good few weeks and, and got another assist. So as I said, when for, for us walking out, it was just it was pleasant to you know, to have covered a game that was very easy to do, um, no real late rewrites at all or anything like that. Not no drama. We've we've had a fair bit of drama recently with the Casemiro equaliser, and United really do need to get in the habit of winning games in in that manner more often now because we've we've said it time again in in a season as unusual as this where where some players could end up playing uh, you know a, a preposterous amount of games that they do need to be able to rest players and give players breathers and a few got breathers last night as well which was a bonus ahead of the West Ham game we'll obviously get stuck into the the talking points in this podcast and there's a lot of them from the game Natural, for example, but I think we'll start with Ronaldo. Really, he was the the main talking point late in the week. Obviously, after his tantrum against Tottenham, that press conference that you were at on Wednesday afternoon that was dominated by questions naturally about Ronaldo off the peace talks with Ten Hag earlier in the week. But he did return to the side, Samuel. He started obviously uh, down the middle. <laughs> As you've just said, it almost felt like one of those games. It felt like we'd saw it before with Ammonia. United had all the ball but they weren't really breaking uh, Sheriff down. They were struggling in that regard. And Ronaldo just didn't look like the goal was going to come, did it? He had a few chances. He had the ball in the back of the net for offside. 
think he booted the ball in the Stratford end. But finally, he got that goal in the second half, didn't he? So what was your verdict on his performance? And I noted you kind of observed his body language and it seemed a bit more positive, didn't it, in the first half? It did, and it did at Carrington on Wednesday for those of us who bothered to stay behind for training, which isn't always advised because United can be very untrustworthy with coming out on time. I think we were waiting nearly half an hour uh, after the, the intended time that they were due to emerge. And it had, been as well. it had been raining quite heavily that day, but fortunately <laughs> we, we avoided it. My, um, my, my shoes weren't too muddy from, from the turf either. But he was at the front of the queue, Ronaldo, when they were jogging round and he was the first on the ball that you could tell even then. I mean, these are small details, but the consequences or the, the, the way he was carrying himself still seemed quite significant. And and last night it was it was the it was exactly the same. Even at the start of the game, he's winked at the camera. There were thumbs up from Lassio and Martinez for their passes. There was um, some interaction with the crowd after the, the defender just got a, a toe to the ball when it looked uh, he looked certain to score in that case, um, in that instant uh, that that opportunity. But in terms of his actual performance, I just thought he was a, a much more was a much more mobile Ronaldo from that than in the Newcastle game against Newcastle. He just seemed quite flat. It was a flat performance from United as well. Obviously against a much better team, but. Last night, he did seem a lot more emboldened. And I think that was bound to be the case after what happened last week. And United have, have dealt with the, the situation impeccably. And Ronaldo, there was an element of contrition in his statement on, on Instagram last week. He, he's never going to say sorry. I think, you you know, hell will freeze over before that ever happens. But the fact that he had his name chanted after it consciously was not chanted by the away dayers at Chelsea, which you know, was the principal thing to do. Yeah, he was never going to get booed either. He's enhanced too many United fans' lives with the the great moments he's given them um, in in this spell of his career and, and the first spell when during, during his first six years at the club. He's too great a player for that to happen. It, it has to be a particularly egregious act by a United player, past or present, for them to be booed at Old Trafford. It, it seldom happens. And it was never going to happen to him, uh, despite how some people might want to interpret the the sounds that you hear. Because, I mean, the obvious joke, and I saw it coming last week, was the whole: Are they say, are you saying boo or boo earns for those who are, who are fans of the Simpsons? Because obviously, his celebration uh, does sound like a boo, but it isn't. And I think for people who hadn't got a clue what a sue was at the start of last season, and I'll hold my hands up. I, I was one of them. It, it can be confusing at times, but he was he was serenaded as well uh, by, by the Stretford end. He, he got a, a very good reception. Uh, it, it was never going to be the occasion for United fans to outright turn against him. And what has helped is the way the club have conducted themselves, the way Ten Hag has dealt with, with Ronaldo privately and in public uh, at the press conferences. So it's, you know, United fans have got behind the manager, that's left the player with little choice but to you know just draw a line after last week it was an aberration i think what was so egregious about ronaldo's conduct during the tottenham game was that he let himself down that that was not a true reflection of him he is one of the most professional athletes you ever likely to come across and probably for the first time in his career his his professionalism deserted him and i think when he probably mulled over it uh, and, and allowed the dust to settle that that's what would have gnawed away at him most it wasn't so much that he you know that, that he wasn't 
coming on or that he wasn't starting the game. It was the fact that he he did what he's never done before, effectively. I mean, certainly I can't um, I can't think of a time where he's he's done something similar to that. It's just something he's not associated with. But new starts of the week, you know, clean slate. Everything's been taken care of now, and you know, things can continue. Uh, hopefully, for United's case, anyway, in a rather serene manner for the rest of the year. And it does help that the World Cup essentially takes six weeks out of it and January does come along a lot quicker. But you know, I, I still would not be surprised in the slightest if Ronaldo is still a United player at the end of January because an exit route is going to be extremely hard to come by uh, with, with such a, a short window. And the way, he, you know, the way he performed last night and, as I said, his body language, the way he acted... Um, applauding the fans even at full time uh, I thought that that's not necessarily something he's synonymous with but he went into the other half to do that rather than just applauding them on the way down the tunnel if if he's got that attitude and it's it feels almost churlish to say if he's got that attitude because normally as I said you don't you don't associate him with having a bad attitude but if he acts like that from now until the end of the season it, it's it's on it's in all parties interests but it's just whether for him, is he going to accept this borderline peripheral role at United because he's he's a front man and although it might be difficult to identify a club where he could be a front man in the new year and he would want to be in the Champions League and so that reduces the, the, the possible clubs significantly and then when you consider the clubs who are in there and who would actually go for him, I'm not too sure you end up with with an option at all in January. So it might just be that he has to just swallow his pride for seven or eight more months, see out his second year at United and then embark on a, on another chapter and turn a new leaf next summer. I was obviously just going to ask you about where does that leave us in the next few weeks leading up to the World Cup and the January window, but I think you've answered that perfectly there. There's a few chats. There's, <laughs> there's not going to be an easy answer, is there? That's the thing. It's going to rumble on. Um, no, that's that's it. Uh, we've already, even this week, you've got clubs publicly, clubs who were offered him in the summer, publicly saying we're not going to sign him in, in January. And the, the Sporting Lisbon coach was very open about that that they couldn't afford his salary if, if clubs were like that in the summer and that transparent it would have done us all a favor because it would have put to bed uh that that story very quickly and very early on in the window my gut feeling all along was that he would end up staying at united just because who's going to pay his salary uh, who's going to pay the transfer fee and and who needs a, a striker of that profile Again, it, 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 it seems somewhat churlish to suggest who would want Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest goal scorer in, in, in the game's history and who got 24 goals in 38 games for United last season and was their player of the year and he won a couple of player of the month awards and he was in the PFA team of the year. But it doesn't work out as easily as that and it will be a lot easier for a potentially interested club to sign him next year when there, there won't be a the obstacle of the fee of having to extract him from another club and you can you, you've got a bit more time to negotiate as well and before we move on i'll just say to listeners take samuel's comments about not knowing about uh ronaldo's celebration with a big pinch of salt i've witnessed him do the sea at five aside before regularly of course i'm me <laughs> well the, the thing, well rich obviously scored at old trafford wearing the number seven and he I didn't did he, he? He did contemplate doing it, but I was so quick to rush into his arms, it, it gave him no choice. <laughs> so 
like a proud, <laughs> proud father seeing their son um, scoring at Old Trafford. So yeah, I I aged myself in that uh, amid the jubilation of us very briefly drawing level with the the United media staff. Excellent, and what happened? What, what what happened after that goal? And we because the scoreline wasn't wasn't very pretty from that moment. It was on. not. It absolutely no. was not. No. Yeah. Uh, Samuel, we were at Vala Valacano together in pre-season at Old Trafford, um, and obviously Ronaldo's future was rumbling. And then I think he dubbed himself the King. The King returns, I think, is what he said as a direct quote before that game. So if Ronaldo's the King. Is Gonacho the Prince? Is he the is he the heir to the throne? That's, that's not a bad intro. Not a bad not intro not, at all, bad, especially given their, uh, their their kinship. I mean. Garnacho is what he's he's half Ronaldo's age as well, yep. so it is it is pretty practically father son, albeit it would be a very young father uh, for for Garnacho. But I suppose that that was the one jolt last night um, because normally when we're doing uh, a, a, we don't do predicted lineups, we do personal lineups, but none of us really gave any any notion to to, to the consideration of Garnacho even starting. I think everybody expected Sancho to come out of the team uh, and, and Ronaldo to start. And it was just a case of whether it be Rashford or, or Elanga on the left. And I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it was rather significant that Ten Hag went with Garnacho over Elanga. Again, that distances himself from previous regimes in that Elanga is, he, he is essentially Ralph Rangnick's academy legacy. Uh, he, he made his debut under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. And although he had a few starts at the start of the season and, and did pretty well in that first half against Liverpool, the, the moment you uh, remember from those games is when he put the ball against the post at 0-0 uh, in, in that game against Liverpool. And that could have been costly. And, and unfortunately, when Alanga's on the pitch, the goal-scoring threat subsides significantly. He's he's not scored for United since February. So that's, that's a shame for him. And Garnacho, it was a free hit. He's coming up against a team who... United should be beating against who you're going to have a lot of the ball uh, against as well. And he was utterly unfazed. And that that didn't come as a surprise to any of us who who have watched him in person, whether it be for, for the academy last season during the Youth Cup run or that Baikano friendly, which was his only appearance on pre-season. Um, he, he obviously travelled to Bangkok and he travelled to Melbourne and Perth, but he didn't get a kick whatsoever. And I, I know there have been some things in the background and, Ten Hag practically confirmed them last night with what he said post-match when he said he wasn't happy with him at the start of the season with his attitude and lack of resilience. And he said in recent weeks, it, those those things have been better from him. And Ten, ten Hag, again, he he dealt with it in a very um, in a very composed manner in that he said, you get that with with young players and that, that's that's natural. And, and sometimes you've got to knock out, knock, knock the bad habits out of them. And with Garnacho, his... Anas Morablis has been remarkable for, I mean, he's turned 18 this year. And normally if you're, if you're living in the UK and you're turning 18 in, in a year, you're either studying for your A-levels or you're flying the nest to go to university or you're entering the big wide working world. He's debuted for United, started for United, trained with Messi, played with Ronaldo, called up to the Argentina squad, uh, debuted for Argentina under 20s, won the youth cup, got what seven goals and six youth cup games last season toured with united you know it's it's there's there's little point mentioning the fact that he got a nike contract or he had hospitality service at, at chelsea one night as well with 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 his entourage and and those things are probably what would impress most teenagers these days 
and you get a sense that he does believe his own hype a little bit. Um, he's had a hell of a lot of acclaim in such a short period of time. He only joined United two years ago from Atletico Madrid. He joined their academy and here he is getting a look in ahead of Facundo Palestri, who I believe signed something like three days later. But of course, he was signed for the United first team and he's still not made his debut for the club. So however way you look at it, the rise of Garnacho has been remarkable and in fair, fair dues to him in pre-season, he returned early. I think he returned before uh, his, his minimum three weeks off because he played in the Toulon tournament, but he wanted to get back in and th that showed good intent. But uh, like a lot of uh, teenagers, um, you, it's, it's going to be a struggle to maintain a consistency in the way they approach um their everyday life and, and and Ten Hag is obviously going to have to be mindful of that and as I said there, there are elements of Garnacho that they've got to you know, be, be, be careful with because as I said I think he does believe his own hype and some of his posts on Instagram could be mistaken for an influencer but as long as he is cutting it at Carrington and then he's performing on match day nobody's going to care about that and he had a really good game I thought I was I was very impressed with how direct he was with the running I think the crowd helped as well. That where it was half term week and it was a much more junior crowd, watching a winger who is making his first start and and isn't that that old either is is going to appeal to to the juniors in the crowd. And you could hear the clattering of plastic seats because Garnacho was drawing fans off their seats, and that's always a you know a, a good indicator of of a player who who the crowd have, have taken to quite quickly and look, the, the love affair United fans have with, with wingers is very ardent and Garnacho is, is looking like the, the latest to come off the conveyor belt and let's face it, if you look at wingers who've come through at United, whether through the academy or signed at a young age, that seems to be the position they excel at producing academy players for men's first team more than any other. I completely agree with that. I was very, very impressed with him when the, the game got a lot more exciting, didn't it? When uh, the team news came out and Ganacho was starting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Wing, I think definitely. Um, as you said, his directness. Direct, you, when you look at Sancho the last few weeks, he's really struggled. Um, he's, he's too ponderous on the ball, a bit pedestrian. Yeah. He lacks quality, doesn't take on his man. And it was a complete opposite from Ganacho on, on Thursday night. And that was fantastic to see. I don't know if you agree, Samuel actually did my panel quite early today, the, the teams we kind of enter for Sunday. And I had Garnacho start. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I don't think that's actually that much of a big call anymore, is it, after that performance? Because when you look at Sancho's performances, as I've mentioned, he's just he's been really, really poor the last few weeks. So before I ask you your opinion on that, I also want to get a, an update on his contract situation, obviously, because he is contracted until 2025. Um, you've obviously done the line today that United are in talks for a new deal. So two questions in one. Would you would you start him against West Ham on Sunday? And also, can you give us an update on those talks with the club and the player? I wouldn't start him on Sunday, but I, I think he's got to be considered as one of the the go to game changers. If if United are in need of a goal or they're, they're attacking and, and struggling for a breakthrough, you, you've got to be careful easing players in. He's going to be up. He would be up against a much more formidable opponent, um, whoever it may be, starting at right back for West Ham, whether it's Johnson or Kufal, much more physical player, much more intense, much higher level as well. So you've, I think there's got to be, you know, it's got to be a, a phasing in process, uh, so to speak there. 
And in terms of the contract, I think those talks started four or five months ago. Uh, United were very keen to stress that he was under contract until 2025 because there were some inaccurate reports coming out of Italy that he was out of contract in 2023. And of course, that means if a player's coming out of the if if, the, if a player's out of contract in a year's time, then Juventus are going to be sniffing about them because Juventus have this long track record of signing players who who are unattached to clubs or have, have recently left a club. But there's a good good amount of time left on his deal. The word from United is that talks are progressing. I don't think there's any real danger, imminent danger there of him, um, of, of his United future being in, in doubt at all. He he will get more playing time this season. Uh, he's he's working under a manager who has has a very good record of, of bringing through young players at Ajax and and even at United this season, it's, it's somewhat flown under the radar that almost every starter in the Youth Cup final in May has either played under Ten Hag, trained under Ten Hag, or been uh, selected in the matchday squad uh, by Ten Hag. So already he is you know, embracing the, the, the youthful identity of the club, but not in such an apparent way of just you know chucking a load of youngsters into a team. Um, and, and giving plenty of players debuts, it's it's in a much more measured way that is uh, for the club's benefit and also for the young for, for these young players' benefits as well. Yeah, it's very exciting moving forward. Obviously, I was at Altrincham on Wednesday night before that game, and uh, Fredrickson started at centre half, and, and Dan Go had a had a good game. He was wearing the captain's armband on Wednesday night. If we move on though, back to obviously the Europa League, I wanted to ask you about the goal scorers, obviously Diego Dallo and Rashford, but we'll start with Dallo first. I know you've tweeted today and I think it's the last 23 consecutive games Dallo started, which is yeah, very, nice. very impressive. That's very impressive. I will admit, Samuel, I've been a bit of a, a Dallo sceptic myself, but he is winning his over every single week. And I think he's been fantastic this season. He keeps on improving. So can I have a word on his improvement really? Because from last season, as you said, he was you know out of sorts, maybe not fancied as much. Came in, um, probably because Juan Basaka was so poor, really, and he offered a little bit more going forward. But it's been great to see, hasn't it? He's he's had a very good year. Uh, I mean, maybe a very good two years, in fact. Uh, he's he's been injury free for, I think, since the summer of twenty twenty, possibly, maybe even a bit further back than that. And for a player who was so injury prone his first two years at United to have started the last 23 games is some going. There's a lot of mitigation there, of course. He's got no competition at right back. Uh, Wambasaka, he trained on Wednesday and then he wasn't even in the squad last night, which really doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Brandon Williams is, is still injured and has played most of his football as a left back. But Dallo is is a very impressive professional. I remember being told that when he was in Italy um, during the pandemic in winter, that there were some Italian players who ill-advisably decided to go on holiday to Dubai. There were some players um, over in England as well. I think it was uh, women's players who, who did that and got quite rightly so got some stick for it. And he didn't do that because he didn't want to risk getting COVID. And he didn't. He was in literally every AC Milan squad after he join them on loan and you only have to look at the clubs that have been interested in him since that loan deal Milan wanted to um to re-sign him Dortmund were interested Atletico Madrid have been interested Barcelona Roma Juventus I'm probably forgetting one or two names along the way he's got into the Portugal squad I think he would be he'd be more than worthy of of starting for Portugal at the World Cup remains to be seen if he does they've got a few decent uh, fullbacks elsewhere of course 
but to have had as progressive a, a year as he has at United is, is is testament to his resilience as well because Solskjaer really didn't fancy him. I think that was apparent to everyone. Uh, he didn't give him any chances last season. It wasn't a coincidence. Dallow got in the team not long after Solskjaer was sacked. I think wan started in Michael Carrick's first two games, but then Dallow started against Arsenal uh, because wan had, a, I think it was a hand injury uh, that he sustained at Chelsea. And then he stayed in pretty much under Ralph Rangnick. And I remember in, it must have been December last year when Dallow started four games on the spin in, in the league or five. And that was seen as achieve, an achievement because he'd never done that before for United. Now, as I said, we've, we're talking about him starting 23 games on the spin. Portugal international, um, he's you know, he's done well under two different, very different managers in, in Rangnick and, and Ten Hag. It's, it's a straightforward decision to give him a, a new contract. They, it's, it's in United's interest to do that sooner rather than later. And I think everybody has been, you know, have had their doubts about him at some point or another because... Certainly that Villarreal home game last season when Dan Juma gave him a right chasing. It was, I mean, remarkably, and uh, again, this speaks well of Dallow. He he was the player who was on the virtual mix zone afterwards speaking, despite having probably the worst performance of his United career, um, not even half an hour just before that. But that's, that's again, that's testament to his character. And he's, you know, his, his English is excellent. He, he communicates really well. In, the, in that defence, he's speaking Spanish to Varane and Martinez. He's speaking Portuguese with Anthony, speaking English with Ericsson. Uh, and obviously, if, if and McTominay, if he's playing with Casemiro, it would be Portuguese as well. So he's, he's a jack of all trades and he's mastered quite a few of them. Obviously, we've moved on to Rashford. Uh, Dado scored a header before the for the half time and obviously Rashford scored a header but I'd say Rashford was probably the better of the two it was fantastic to be fair his, his neck muscles it was similar to yeah. Casemiro as I was impressed how Casemiro got it in a Stamford Bridge and Rashford was the kind of similar calibre uh, of goal six goals this season Samuel which has been very impressive uh, he's already surpassed his contribution from last season obviously the England the World Cup's on the horizon the England squad that's the question will he make that or not but he's playing for playing with confidence again. He's got a smile back on his face, and he generally looks a threat every time he's on the pitch, doesn't he? He is, and it was interesting the role he he, he went into last night. He was playing as the number ten, which he's hardly ever played before. Certainly in the first team, I think he did in the junior teams uh, a long time ago, obviously. But it, it worked reasonably well. I don't think it's obviously going to be a long term um, blueprint for United. It was just the the occasion lent itself to it. I suspect Fernandez wasn't too happy about being re- relocated in the second half for, for the second game running because he, he didn't really contribute much after Rashford came on. But it was, a, it was a wonderful header, terrific move by United as well. Not the kind of goal you associate with Rashford at all. And it, it, will, ha- it will do him the power of good to have already scored more goals than he managed last season. I think he was on probably two last season but he of course his season only started in October because of the, the the shoulder surgery he had to have and he did start quite well when he came back he got two goals in as many games uh, against Leicester and Atalanta and then he even got I think he came on against Tottenham and got a third that would have been three and four games last season so he actually did start well individually but unfortunately for him then he didn't score again until January and then after a couple of goals against Brentford and West Ham, he didn't score again all season. But he does look a very different player this season. He looks a hell of a lot more confident. Um, 
he's, he's playing under a manager who is, you know, really embraces his his flexibility. I think it does help that Ten Hag favours the, the more junior attackers, whereas under Solskjaer, he had Cavani and he had Ronaldo. Understandably, he would want to play those players ahead of Rashford up front because they are they've been brilliant strikers uh, but there were there was a lot of nuance to why Rashford wasn't getting in still um a lot of the fault lied with him uh, I know there's been some revisionism there as if like Solskjaer was holding him back and obviously it, it's never going to help if a manager is is managing solely from the office and isn't out on the training ground um, pitch often enough and I think Rashford felt a little a bit let down by that but Unfortunately, his his form was poor for for eighteen months, and you can't pin that on a manager or a coach or a setup or anyone coming in. I mean, his his form last season was not down to Ronaldo. That's been one of the the weirdest questions posed this season. You know, did, did Ronaldo um, have have an adverse effect on on Rashford when Rashford's um, you know, poor poor stretch started well before Ronaldo uh, returned to United? This season, it, it's not a coincidence that he is playing better with with Ronaldo, not a regular. But he had to mature as well in in ways, and you know th- there were still some missteps that that occurred, not necessarily by him, more so by his brother, and you know, trying to put pressure on United with the contract and the not particularly dis- discreet meeting with with PSG back in August or July or where, whenever it was. But the player himself is is doing well this season. I still, I'm still not having him as a striker. I still don't see that as a long term role for him. And you know, he he scored from a central role last night. But as I said, it was a role that he rarely plays in. It, it would have been potentially, um, you know, a potential turning point for him last week had he managed to score against Tottenham or or Chelsea, leading the line for United because he needs to. He needs a goal as a striker. He's still not got that this season. All of his goals have have come from positions that have not been the number nine role. And if he wants to stake his place for being a striker for United, he he has to cut it as a number nine. And I I still don't see him as that. I I don't think there's a debate over his best position. His best position is is from the left-hand side. But this season, he's done a good job pretty much of of filling in there with uh, Ronaldo not necessarily being out of the races for most of the time and Marshall being being injured more often than not. And with England, it, it bodes well that they've got another good option for their attack. It just remains to be seen if, if the coach can be persuaded, can be persuaded to um to play to his strongest suit because he, he's not done that so far. Well that's what I was going to say, Sam. I was going to say regarding the World Cup, do you think Southgate will take him? Because he's got form yeah. for, for questionable decisions. I'd personally I'd personally take him I'd, I'd take him to Qatar. I think is he's one of the most informed players in the league currently. And his versatility is, is certainly attractive as well. Obviously he can play through the middle, but he's best on the left. Um so do you think he will make the squad because he's not played for England, I think, since the Euros uh, last year. I think he will because he's been in form for Man United and he's he's banked credits with Southgate as well. He's played under Southgate for for the whole of his of his tenure as England manager. It's it's easy to forget that he he made his debut for, for England under Roy Hodgson. I think it was up at up at Sunderland when he when he scored against Australia in that pre Euros friendly in oh, was that a good thing? Yeah. I thought you might have been, yeah. Yeah. So a, a little bit of, of history. It, it, that was the year when obviously he was scoring on on every debut imaginable, whether it was Europa League, England, Premier League, uh, League Cup, uh, probably another debut of some sort. 
but where they've got 26 players to choose from, three are obviously goalkeepers. So more or less, you can pick eight players from the other three departments. And attacking-wise, I don't think Southgate will pick eight outright attackers, but he easily fits in, whether it's six, seven or eight forwards. They'll have Kane, Sterling, um, uh, Grealish, obviously. Tammy Abraham is probably another one. Phil Foden, if you're counting him as an attacker, which I think you have to. Is, is obviously someone who has to be in that squad. I think Rashford, he's one of the first names uh, that, that you can think of. Uh, and, and there are other good players, good potential players who could make that squad. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it was quite clear at the start of the season that Rashford and Sancho getting in the England squad was a stretch. And so it's proven to be the case, I think, so far. I would It wouldn't surprise me if Sancho wasn't even in the 55-man list that, the, the national team managers have had to submit at this strangely early juncture um, for the World Cup. One name that will definitely be on the list because Southgate absolutely loves him is Harry Maguire. Um, and we'll discuss the reception he got last night, Samuel. He came on at halftime, um, obviously didn't have much to do in the second half. He did get a yellow card, but that was definitely a very harsh yellow card. It was not a yellow card, in my opinion. Um, so could you give some insight into the reaction, really? The, it was a bit mixed, wasn't it, when he came on? Um, from your perspective in the in the press box, I, I couldn't understand what was actually being said, and I still can't say for certainty whether he was getting booed. There was there was definitely one point where he got the ball forty yards out, and it was definitely shoot. And I mean, in terms of the room one hundred and one of football, I think shoots people shouting shoot is one of the things that has to go in there. It's it's just dreadful. I don't care what the average age of the crowd is. It, it's just got to be discouraged. He got a really good ovation and reception when he warmed up in the first half. It was the first time I've heard Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire, just, it was literally just that over and over being chanted at Old Trafford. I, I, I can't recall that being heard before. He's that, that dreadful England song about him was chanted against Leicester in April but that was more in a response to the booing he got on England duty. Unfortunately, those United fans cut that out because it's just a, an abysmal chant um, by a pretty abysmal set of fans, frankly, where, where England are concerned, where you've got these ingrates who, who boo players who played brilliantly for them at, at two successive tournaments. But I couldn't, I couldn't work out if, if it was booing. There probably was an element of it. I don't understand it. I think it's... It's pretty risible. Um, as I said, it's it's half term week. It was a more junior crowd in. It felt like, in some ways, a more pantomime crowd. So you're likely to get that element of it. I, I certainly couldn't say with certainty it was just shoot or it was just boo. I think it was probably a mixture. Um, and I, I don't think that's a reliable gauge of United fans. I certainly don't think if Maguire plays on Sunday, we'll have this debate of was it shoot or boo? I mean, it's another boo or boo earns, isn't it? I thought it was just going to be uh, restricted to to Ronaldo, but clearly not. Uh, it's, it's strange behaviour. It's it, it was strange behaviour by England fans uh, to do that in, in March, and they did it again more recently, uh, again at the MCG during the pre-season tour to get to, to be booing a Man United captain. It's, it's just, it's, it's pathetic, really. It's, I, I don't, I, I, look, fans have a right to, to voice their opinion in a way. And look, Maguire has, has deserved criticism this year. Nobody is disputing that whatsoever. Both of us have been critical of him. How could you not be? And we've been critical in a fair and objective way. 
I, I've always taken a dim view of supporters booing one of their own players. It would have to be, as I said earlier about Ronaldo, it would have to be a particularly egregious act by a player uh, to get booed. I mean, Paul Pogba got booed by United fans on his last Old Trafford appearance earlier this season. And he wasn't necessarily having an abysmal performance that day. He wasn't playing well, but it did feel quite a jolt. And maybe that was a carryover from the protests that were going on outside. And it seemed a particularly fervent atmosphere. But if if there was a player who arguably would be deserving of that level of... um, not, not, not abuse, but certainly deserving of booing, then you could possibly say Pogba was one of them just because of how how often he and his agent used to undermine United and obviously relation relations soured between him and the supporters. But Maguire has always been quite appreciative of, of, of United fans and, and, and of just the fact that he's playing for the club as well. So it, it was strange, but I think there was an element of, I mean, as I said, he had his name chanted. I think there was some shouting shoot, and I think there was some shouting boo. So it was um, it was it was about as diverse and, and as mixed as you could get, uh, which which made it rather peculiar. Well, just add to your last point. I think I completely agree. He's he's always remained a dedicated professional. I love the pitch. He does a lot of work um, with the club, the foundation, and, and charity work and not and whatnot. So I don't think is it can't be questioned whether he cares or not because he does. His performances were not good enough last season. Yeah. Of course, far from it, but it's time to move on. Put that behind. The club's moving in a different direction, and but a positivity this season, I think, and and hopefully those performances behind Maguire, he can return to his best. But he's still got it in that position in the team, doesn't he? Because that's not going to be a given. Um, but if we move on, Samuel, last point really, I wanted to ask you about uh, Real Sociedad next week because obviously we've had a few dead rubber games really, although they haven't some haven't been straightforward in the Europa League. But obviously, Real Sociedad beat United on the, the night the Queen passed away. It was a bit of a weird game, a bit of a surreal atmosphere. Um, but United are in Spain next week and they need to win by two goals to win the Europa League group. You've just mentioned it earlier in the podcast. This team has struggled for goals this season. I think the score, I've got another down, I think it's 16 goals in 11 matches in the Premier League. So they've not exactly been flowing. So realistically, can you see United going to Spain next week and, and winning by two goals? Because that is the target and that's been the target all season to win the Europa League group, hasn't it? I mean, that that is a tall order. Um, I, I need to look up actually when United lost one by two goals in Spain with a, with a crowd present as well, because I've just thought of Granada in the Europa League last year. Uh, but given that that's about as unmemorable knockout or, or a tie against a Spanish team as it gets for United uh, it's it's not really worthy of writing home about and as I said there wasn't a crowd present as well um, I, look Sauc- Sociedad have been very very as, as consistent as it gets they've they've literally won all their games uh, they've not let up at all they've fully capitalised on that advantage since they beat United in as you say very very strange circumstances and it was rather appropriate that the decision that um, gifted them the opportunity to win the game that evening was a strange one, just about one of the worst handball penalty decisions that you're ever likely to see against Lissandro Martinez. I, I do have my doubts of, of United winning by two clear goals. I think if they do, you know, that, that's another that's another step in the right direction. Uh, it's, it's further proof that they can you know, handle a pressure situation of some sort. It's, it's strange that you know, it, it 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 is going to get talked up as this you know quite important knockout tie, and it is an important game for them. But I think for the supporters who travel out there, I don't think they'll be too 
groups who saw if United failed to win by two clear goals because you know it, it means another trip away in February, uh, and it means a potential glamour tie in a competition that let's let's face it is not glamorous in the slightest. But United coming up against Barcelona or Juventus or Atletico Madrid or some of the other teams that could finish third in the Champions League group stages next week is journalistically obviously it's it's very appealing but I fully understand why Ten Hag wants that group one because having two three midweeks in February when they've got two games still to rearrange uh, that were postponed from the Queen's death would would be a you know, that'd be extremely helpful for his preparations. You're not going to complain at a, a flight to the new camp, are you, Samuel, compared to a, a trip to Chisnew? In no, no, I, I don't think anybody could really. Um, you know, hopefully, we, there'd be a scope to sending two on one of those trips if it was a proper glamour tie as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But you, I suppose the worst thing would be for United to have one of those draws and then they get quite underwhelming <laughs> opposition. I mean, Salzburg looks lovely, but United versus Red Bull Salzburg in... In, in February, it does not really get the juices flown in terms of uh, the, the news that it's likely to generate. Now, I was just about to end the podcast, but I've actually forgot to ask you about Anthony's turn. And ironically, yeah. we did actually forget about that in the, the, the pre, pre-podcast pre discussion as well. So I don't know how it slipped our minds, because yeah. it was quite a big talking point, obviously. Um, a lot was made of it on BT Sports, Samuel. Savage criticised it, Robbie Savage, Paul Scholes criticised it. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen it, and Anthony did his now signature turn before kicking the ball out of play. The uh, turning, isn't it? I think. <laughs> Is that I, I, I've certainly not christened him that. I can't take credit for that. I've, I'm, I must have seen it somewhere else. I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere else. Excellent. Well, I was going to ask you, where do you stand with it? Because I've actually had to think about it. To begin with, I was like, oh, that, that's really embarrassing. Um, but being a little bit more pragmatic and a bit more understanding, I don't think you should be intensely criticised for it as he has been. I think the backlash has been a bit over the top. Um, so where do you stand on it? Because it was a, an interesting talking point, wasn't it? The, the, the backlash has been, I mean, the, the fact we're using the word backlash. Exactly. Is, not, somebody needs to tell Graham Sooners that Anthony also lives in Paul Pogba's <laughs> old house as well. I mean, that that would that would particularly enrage him. <laughs> the, the, there has been a lot of, you know, man yelling at cloud takes on it. It's, it's not worthy of as much coverage as it has got today. Ten Hag was asked about it, understandably. He gave... A very measured answer to it. I was I was happy, you know, f- from from my perspective to to leave it at that. At, at the time, you did think, look, it's it's the thirty eighth minute. It's nil nil against a Moldovan side. Half time is looming, and worst of all, you've actually given the ball away. The ball went straight to the keeper, and look, Diogo Dallo, I think, has defended him today, but he. He was the one who was, you know, giving him some jib about it. He was saying, he was, essentially, he was saying, you know, you, you need to maintain the intensity. Don't don't be frivolous about it. Um, the crowd approved of it, as you would expect. And again, it was a junior crowd with it being half term week, so kids seeing that will will love it. And it's it was a reasonable point that Simon Stone of the BBC made afterwards, um, talking about that. That's going to be a moment that a lot of people talk about and remember for for quite some time and a lot of those kids will be doing that in the playground when they go back to school next week so uh there'll be plenty of solidarity uh, with with anthony i I don't think it's something that he he should have done at that time but you know i'm I'm not going to get offended by it i'm I'm certainly not outraged by it he he could have picked a better time to do it it's certainly going to be interesting to see uh how popular brazil are at the world cup with 
uh, Anthony, Richarlison and, and Neymar potentially as their front three. Uh, that That is a front three that would, would wind up even the most temperate of defenders, I would imagine. That will be very interesting to follow in a, in a few moments' time, no doubt. Um, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate the Railston Luckhurst uh, strike force today, or hope they have. I hope Samuel, so. Samuel, thanks for your time as usual. I hope so, yeah. No mention of West Ham, but no need to mention West Ham as well, I think, even though there is a, a game on Sunday. I think we've we've covered more than enough. It's, yeah, it's... yeah. I wanted to, obviously, the Ganacho talking point, but I think the team kind of picks itself, doesn't it, going into that game. Um, obviously, Sancho probably does come back in, but he's he's not changing the team, is he? At the moment, I don't think Sancho can come back in. He's, I mean, he's even when he was scoring earlier in the season, his performances were not were not at the level that they needed to be. He would he would have a tendency to to fade into anonymity in those games, and I don't quite understand why for such for a player who at Dortmund was renowned for his intensity and his directness. When you watch him now, sometimes it's like watching Dimitar Berbatov in the United shirt in that the ball gets to him and he just wants to take the tempo down and check back in and, and lay the ball off and play at a much slower level. Uh, that's that's not what United need. It's That's not going to cut it in the Premier League. And I, I don't quite understand whether you know that's a confidence issue or just whether that's the way he is, but he, he has the tendency to do that. He, he did it at Chelsea last week where he pretty much killed an attack uh, by playing the ball backwards when he should have been more direct with it. And of course, in, in Nicosia, he, he played Malassia into a bit of trouble and United soon went 1-0 down. So it would be interesting to see what Ten Hag does there. He's He has talked up the, uh, the way Ronaldo and Rashford played uh, with each other in the second half. And maybe, maybe that was a dress rehearsal for Sunday and given that Ronaldo played quite well, scored, you've got a greater goal threat with Ronaldo on the pitch. Garnacho's still very raw. Elanga, if he's on the pitch, you reduce your goal threat. Sancho's bang out of form. Yeah, despite everything that's happened, I think you've got to know where Ronaldo could be starting in the Premier League um, after what happened against Tottenham last week. And despite all that, I've still got a sneaky feeling that Sancho might start. Uh, I still think Ten Hag might start, and he he definitely won't deserve that start. But I've just no. If he, if he does start and he performs well, then it's it's, it's going to look like great man management. But yeah. I think it's safe to say his uh, his omission from the team last night was very much a, a, a demotion. Uh, with Luke Shaw, I think it was it was fair to say he was being rested and Rashford was being rested. But with James Sancho, I think that. That was him being bombed out of the team, and it was time for Ten Hag to look at a different option. And if if Garnacho gets his opportunity again on Sunday, good good luck to him. Thank you, Samuel, uh, once again, and thanks to listeners as usual. Take care. Thank you.